Hi there, friends. Thank you so much for all the calls and connecting with us this week. Fires started last week that were tragic. And in upcountry, I think 19 homes as of right now are gone. And our church has been partnering together to be leads in that community. I mean, these are some pictures of our neighborhood where no houses were burned, but this is what the fire had looked like that night. And it was scary. And we thank you so much for your prayers. In Pleasant City Church, you know that in 2006, when this ministry began, we had no idea how, how much God would lead us to do this ministry and partner. And I've been on staff at Wapuna Chapel the last six years as a life group's discipleship pastor. And in the last few weeks, God's really been stirring that up and giving me more of a heart to just be able to do One Love fully focused. And with Nicole teaching school now this year and all of our boys being in school, we were led to step away from my position at Waipuna Chapel as the Life Group's pastor. And I shared my resignation the morning of the fires, having no idea that we were gonna have these types of fires and this type of need in our community. But it's made it that much more clear that this is God's timing to be able to go share the one love of Jesus in the community and just not have any kind of divided heart, not try to juggle the two ministries just because of the two incomes, but to fully focus on one love skate and step out on faith. And it was the day, last Tuesday, that, that we shared all of that. And the needs that we're seeing is to really connect with people to pour courage into them and to give care, not just in the skate community, but beyond. Amen. Yeah, and we've spon we sponsored an event three nights before the fire at Lahaina Skate Park. We helped sponsor an event, and recently we sponsored helped sponsor another event at Paia Skate Park that led to a connection with some girls that went to camp with the church and then were baptized recently as well, two different girls. And God is working, and we just thank you for joining us in your prayers and thinking of us and letting us be on the front lines of ministry here to partner with different people, churches, and organizations through One Love Skate. Yeah, so good to hear how God's working already through devastation. But the Hawaiian fires are something where there's an endless amount of possibility uh, of ministry that can take place, not only through uh, One Love State, but also some of the churches in the area. And we partnered with One Love State, uh, State, State. Anyway, I guess they can be a state unto themselves. But anyway, we, we partnered with them and which we're taking up an offering. Uh, if you'd like to give to the cause, uh, Josh and Nicole have a vibrant ministry there. Uh, they have means to, to take care of needs uh, as it means uh, us sending support so they can. And then if it becomes more than what they can handle, the good thing is that they're on the ground there and they see where the greater need is and who's meeting the need the best. So if you give to this offering, basically what you're doing is you're giving relief to them to start that process of meeting needs. And then if it outgrows them, they have means to give to other churches or other ministries there. So we encourage you to give to this. It's right there in your handout. There's a QR code you can give from, or you can go on, on our website to also give towards this much needed ministry right now. A lot of hopelessness there in Maui. So continue also to pray for them. Well, if you have your Bibles or a way to see God's Word, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I, I'm so glad to, to be back uh, in my home church. Uh, I tell you, uh, for three weeks, uh, I, that's about as much as I can handle being away from y'all. Uh, first week, I, I got to confess, I didn't miss you. I, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> second week, I was starting to feel it a little bit. By the third week, I, I got to get back. And uh, so it's also always a joy 
that God gives us a joy to be amongst his people and to love on the people God's given me the opportunity to love on for a long time. And uh, I just thank you so much for who you are as a church family and the way you bless our family so much. Summer series, Joy Ride. If you look at the series intro here on the screen, joy is unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives. The confidence that ultimately we can trust God in everything that comes into our lives and the determined purpose to praise him in all things. And to me, that is what Paul is attempting to, to show us. It's in a nutshell what he's trying to show us in this letter to the Philippian church. And so this morning, what I want to do is talk to you about the idea, choose joy, the best is yet to come. How many of you have ever been in a car when someone basically said, are we there yet? Has anybody been there? And I think when you think about some of the, 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 the challenges of this world, as we get older, we start dealing with issues in our lives and uh, the complexity of the world, the complexity of the burdens that many of us carry, I think many of us would say, in light of heaven, are we there yet? And then we pull away and we think, okay, if, if heaven is our home and heaven is our final destination, yeah, we definitely long for it, but are we ready to go for it? You know, think about that. But the question is, are we there yet? The thing I want to point out this morning is this. Heaven is a place that really exists. It's a real destination for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Heaven is so wonderful that Paul describes it in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's what he says. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I want you to think about that. That, that is pretty big because we can go throughout this world. We can see many beautiful sights. I mean, sometimes I like to just look at the, the nature scenes across the world, and you can see all these beautiful places. But what Paul is saying, Paul is basically saying that that ain't nothing. The best is yet to come. And that is so true for those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, what Paul is trying to say is, and I think in this verse, and then when we get to the book of Revelation, we begin to see the descriptions of heaven. The thing that we take away from, or at least what I take away from it, is the fact that it's going to be glorious, but it's also going to be mysterious. There's some things about it we just can't wrap our minds around. And Paul is engaging in those thoughts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's basically saying, you know something? You're really not going to fully imagine it until you see it. You can't do it unless you see it yourself. Now, in light of this discussion on heaven, which we'll see, we have what's in the introduction there. In this text, Paul is making a sharp contrast between those who live for this world and those who live for the world to come. It appears that both groups were professing Christians, but had vastly different perspectives about how they lived their lives. One group ends in destruction, that's what he's going to say, while the other group receives the assurance of heaven. Now let me just tell you this as it relates to the world in which we're living right now. There's a lot of people out there who profess Christianity. Their words, what they say, what they even put with their influences, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And there's many who I believe who are Christians 
who truly have come to terms with repentance, turning from their old ways, turning to Jesus and the provision of what God has made through Jesus uh, when it comes to their salvation. But there are some who are out there who profess this, but it is far from them. It is far from them. Paul's talking about a group of people, even in the first century, who were there where we, we are, many of us are today. So what does he do? How does he phrase all this? How does he put it into action? If there's two groups, one that's professing that's going towards destruction, and one that has the assurance of heaven, what are we really looking at? Now, Paul's going to show us, but he's going to start with himself. Look at the, he, and look on your outline. First of all, we see the illustration. Now, the definition of illustration is this, the process of, of illuminating, the process of bringing clarity to a situation. It also means a vivid representation that carries the idea of an example. So there's literally an example that illuminates. It's something that, that brings something to the table. You can see it more clearly. Now, what does that lead us to on your outline? The example of Paul. Paul was de definitely someone a person could follow when it, come, when it came to following Jesus. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Now, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we can read this phrase, which this phrase occurs eight different times. Paul basically says, imitate me. Follow my example. Now, I don't know about you. That's pretty bold when you think about it. If I were up here on this stage, and maybe it's my own insecurities or whatever you want to call it, but I would hesitate to say, hey, y'all, if you want to know Jesus, the heart of Jesus, and you want to know how God wants you to live, watch me. But that's kind of what he's saying. It's, it seems to be what he's saying. So Paul was saying this. He's not looking to make clones of himself. I want you to think about it. We all have different backgrounds, different personalities, different gifts. But here's what he's saying. Guys, if you're on the journey I'm on, then we're on the same journey. And the journey is taking me places I never dreamed. And it can be possible for you also if you follow this example. Now, the example in and of itself is really Jesus. So the journey is made up of a relationship with Jesus in which you're following him. He's saying, I'm doing that. Follow me as I follow him. So Paul is asking them to follow his overall example as he follows Jesus. Now, what are we looking at here? Well, it really goes back to what Gary preached last week. In Philippians chapter 3, go back to 3, look at verse 12. Paul says this. This may be the example he's talking about, what it looks like. Not that I've already attained. He's not fully Christ-like yet. He, he's not the exact representation of that. He, he, he's not saying that he's that. Or am already perfected. He's saying I'm not perfect, but I press on. But I'm moving towards that. This is my journey. Now think about that. But I press on is in the present tense. That is how we walk. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we walk in the present tense. It's something that we're pursuing. What does he say? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He, he's basically saying he didn't, he didn't make this on his own. 
or he's, he's not fully arrived spiritually, is basically what he's saying. So he's not saying, I've mastered this thing, follow me. He's saying, I'm on a journey in which I'm attempting to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So look what he says in verse 13, that middle part. But one thing I do, I'm not there yet, but I, one thing I do. Again, we're back to the present tense. I'm living in the moment. I'm living as a follower of Jesus. How am I doing it? Forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching for those things which are ahead. Here, here's the present tense again. I press, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And basically, what, the way he presents verse 14 is him living in the present tense with future sights. There's something in the future. He's moving towards something. And then by the time you get later into the book, into the, uh, chapter 13, he's going to tell you the full uh, idea of what he's, he's working towards or going towards is heaven itself. And that's what we're gonna, where we're going to carry the journey this morning. So Paul, Paul was trying to get them to see that they are to follow Jesus as he is following Jesus. Not that he's perfect, not that he's by far the greatest example but look, in the present tense, this is the journey that we're on. So, he not only talks about himself being an example, he also talks about the example of others. Now, let me just say this. We all need visible mentors. We all need them. We've got to have them. God has blessed me with people in my life who have been mentors. If you were to say, when was the greatest a time of growth in your personal life, it was when I was in the Word, it was when I was uh, working through God's Word and trying to see it as it related to what He was calling me to do, what He wanted me to do, and that's not just for pastors, that's for all of us, we're all looking for that purpose that God's called us and, and brought us out from among those in darkness, but not only that, I needed someone that I could physically see do it. That was some of the greatest growth in my, in my life. And I've told you this many times. One person, I don't believe there's one person that, can, that has it right in every area. I just don't believe that. There's some of you in this room, I look at your prayer life, great challenge to me. Some of you in this room, it's, it's, it's your zeal for evangelism and presenting Jesus, what a challenge that is to me. And I watch that. And I'm inspired that, uh, by that. There's some of you, you've got this father thing pretty much worked out. And you're, you're just fun to watch. And I strive to be where you are. Or, or maybe you're a husband. And, and you define what I would imagine is a Christian husband's journey. But there's so many of us that we don't find those things. We don't necessarily look for those things. But we need those things in this journey. We need those people that we can watch. So what does he say in verse uh, 17 again? He says, not only follow my example, and know those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. We can be an example to you. So the question is this. Who is that person in your life who is a vivid representation of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus? Can, can you name someone? Is there someone that comes to mind? There, 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 there should be. You need to pursue that. 
You need to pick that person's brain. If anything, I've, I've heard many, many will come to me at times, and, and I do. I, I, try, I take mentoring very seriously, and I attempt to do my share of it as much as I can one-on-one. But some people come to me, and they'll basically say, I want to grow in Christ. How's the best way? You've got to be a student of God's Word, and you need to find someone to mentor you, someone to come alongside of you and help you in your journey. We all need that. And Paul is amening that. This means that God desires for you and me, if you flip it around, he desires for you and me to have an impact and influence in the lives of those people around us. How do we know that? Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to be salt and light. Two major influences. I want you to be those. So not only are we to look for mentors, we are to be mentors. We are to pour in and invest in other people. The average American has a sphere, a sphere of, of influence of 250 people. Some more, some less. Think about that. Your life, if you live on average, you have some type of influence of 250 people in your life. Some of you are sitting there saying, one, two, three. I only get five. <laughs> But we do, directly and indirectly. And and my question to you is this. Paul seems to be implying here that that needs to mean something. It needs to have impact. It needs to have influence in those people's lives. So how do you use the influence God's given you? Well, basically, you can be there to help people who are stumbling, to help people who are misguided. And so I want you to look on your outline. Paul now turns from the illustration to the violation. There's something going on here in this church, even though it's a book written about joy, there's something going on in this church that's causing him grief. He's struggling. There's something that's there. Now, let me say this. Why is it important to follow godly examples or have godly mentors? It is because there are those who violate what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. They violate it. True followers of Jesus, let me just say this, are not to be gullible and accept all those who profess Christ as being genuine. We can't afford, especially in this day and age, we live in a society right now that's trying to redefine who Jesus is. As I've said before, they're attempting to make him in their image. That's what they're trying to do. Think about what's going on. He's misrepresented all everywhere. There's a lot of people who will, who will call out the name of Jesus. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean? We can't afford to be gullible. There's too much at stake. We need to understand that there's the genuineness of what it means to truly follow Christ. And Paul is saying with everything in him, make sure you're following the right examples. Find those in your life that can be that, can be that source. We have even have to be careful with those who call themselves preachers of the gospel. There are those who claim to be preachers of the gospel who violate the truth of the gospel by misrepresenting the gospel. And we got to pay attention. you got to pay attention. Just because they say Christian, just because they call on the name of Jesus, you can't be gullible. You got to get in the word. You got to know. But what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the violation of these false teachers that seem to be even in this church. And the first thing we see there is the grief of Paul. Look at verse 18. 
For many walk of whom I have often, I told you often, and now tell you even weeping. He, he's basically, I'm talking about their walk, but now there's this point where there's something that grieves me, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. He didn't say they were enemies of Christ. What does he say? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, if there's going to be a misrepresentation of the gospel, it'll come where it's the most costly as it relates to the cross. What was the cross truly all about? What was at stake when it comes to the cross? And so there's a lot of people out there professing Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. Jesus is love. He loves all of us. Precious name of Jesus. All that's there. We can agree with that, but there's another side. The other side is what is represented through the cross. The cross, I want you to think about this, is not only a beautiful symbol of love, it's also a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of judgment. And that's where the misrepresentation of the gospel comes from. And, and that's what we need to be paying attention to. So Paul is referring to those who profess to be Christians. It appears that they're opposite of those mentioned in the previous verse. Their walk does not follow the example of Paul and those who truly follow Jesus. And Paul's deeply concerned of the influence they're having in the church. Next, we see the violation also led to the guilt of others. Paul then pr proceeds to tell us how these false teachers live and how it will end for them. And the first thing we see is their distortion. They're distorting something. We've already called it out. They're distorting good doctrine. Most false teachers, let me just say this. Most false do uh, teachers do not change good do doctrine. They alter it or distort good doctrine. They alter it. They distort it. And most of the time, it's, it's a distortion that is more about the person than it is God's intentions. Prosperity gospel. It's about the person, not the intentions of God. And the thing we need to understand about that, that's just one small part. There's a lot of people out there creating Jesus in their own image. There's a lot of people trying to create a gospel in their own image. That's the reason you hear people say all the time, uh, oh, if, if you're good enough and your good outweighs your bad, you're heaven bound. And they got all these bare metrics that they choose. Or metrics, not bare metrics. Anyway, metrics. Okay. And, and so we see this distortion. Uh, now, let, let, look at verse 18 again. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping. So basically he's saying, I've called out the false teachers, and they're out there, but I'm weeping in this context, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's also worth pointing out that Paul says these individuals, again, were enemies of the cross. Now, this suggests that these individuals are seeking to identify themselves with Christ, but diminish or distort what the cross represents. What it represents. Is the cross a symbol of God's love? Absolutely. Beautiful symbol of God's love. Matter of fact, what, 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 he stretched out. It's a, it's a picture of welcoming. It's a picture of as, an, as you come unto me, basically. But it's also a sign of judgment. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the message of the cross, what the cross is, a de uh, is demonstrating, what the cross is all about is foolishness to those who are perishing. They totally either misrepresent it on purpose or they misrepresent it because they, they don't have anything guiding them to the right place. There's something else at stake. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word power there can also mean it's the demonstration of God. It's a God thing. These false teachers have distorted the true meaning of the cross. Now I want to share something with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is probably writing his last letter. That's what many scholars believe. He's writing it to Timothy. But here's what he says that we need to pay attention to. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, in the last days, the last days, perilous times will come. For men or people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The word pleasures there could also mean lovers, lover of their desires. Having a form of godliness, there's a form of godliness. Somehow they make it a good thing now. Woe to those who call good evil and woe to those who call evil good. That's in there. We could be dealing with a reference here. But, but he says this. And, and then he says it. Having a form of godliness but denying his power, what it was intended for. And from such, people turn away. They're deceiving people. They're turning people away from the true gospel. They're turning people away from their true knowledge of who Christ is. But then we come to verse 10. Paul says this. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. He's telling Timothy, don't stop now. You're, doing a, you're following these things. Stay with it. Verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What's the context of this? In the last days. In the last days. It's going to get terrible. They're going to be imposters. It's going to grow worse and worse. But you must continue in the things which you've learned, been assured of, what you know is there, knowing from whom you have learned them. That from childhood you've known the Holy Scripture. He, Paul's basically saying, hey, Timothy, stick with what you learned as a child. What you learned as a child will help you understand better and stay, be, continue to be a student. Be assured of those things by faith. Not all of us have that testimony, but he did. And Paul's saying, grab onto it with everything you got. Hold on to it. Because there's going to come imposters who's going to try to separate you from it. From those wonderful things. And then he says this. It's all scripture. It's given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction. That the man, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Everything you need is right here. 
right here. The answers. When you start going astray, it's all right here. Then he goes into chapter 4. And he says in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't even want to hear it. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they want someone to tell them what they want to hear. They will heap up for themselves teachers. There will be those out there saying what they want to hear. It will be a misrepresentation of Jesus in in the context of this. It will be a misrepresentation of the gospel. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That word fables is very interesting when you look at through through the Greek language lens. It means this. What was once not acceptable will become acceptable. Wow. Are we living in that day? We're living in that day. You think about this. This is serious stuff. Paul was grieved by those who were misdirecting people, misrepresenting the gospel and the truth. But Paul comes back later to Timothy and said, you ain't seen nothing yet. The end times, it's going to be even worse. And you better hold on with everything you got to the truth of God's word. Next, we see their destruction. Talking about these false teachers. It's important to know and study proper doctrine while keeping in mind that our eternity could be affected. I believe this is why Paul is grieving. Look at verse 19. These false teachers, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Not only that, the fruit of what they produce is destruction. What they produce in misrepresenting and people following. They believe the distorted version of the gospel. And therefore, because of Paul's grief, they're headed for eternal destruction. That's what he's talking about here. Paul's grieved by it. I believe Paul's grieved by by two things. Number one, the investment he's made in this church at Philippi. He's seeing great things. There's great joy. When he thinks of them, what do you say? It brings joy to my heart. But there's this thing hanging out here. These these people who are misrepresenting who Christ really is, namely the cross. Then he talks about their gratification. Now, I want you to understand, if you were to say, how far can false teachers take you? They can take you a great distance. They made their lives about themselves and their desires. Literally, if you go do a careful study, you'll find out when false teachers are around, they won't literally, their desires will define them. They will define them. Look at what he says in verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Now, this is more than someone that likes steak and taters and got to have it all the time. No, he's talking about the inner desires of them. What they long for, what they're going for. See, this sinful characteristic is not just a reference to gluttonous behavior. It can refer to unbridled pursuits of any physical gratification. An appetite for sex, for money, for power. He is saying that their God does not reside in heaven, but in their bodies. That's their God. That's who they're worshiping. That's what they're trying to please. 
This is a graphic way of saying that their life, only for the temporary, temporal pleasure of this life, has enslaved them to their gratifying lust. Think about that. This person's chief end is to live to satisfy themselves, to satisfy their desires, to satisfy their flesh, and even their self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. And that's where it leads to, where self takes center stage. And Paul's warning this. These false teachers are not going to serve you well. They're going to take you away from what God intends for you. The doctrine of the cross, all those things that the cross represented is slowly being distinguished by their distortions. Self also, let me tell you this. Self-exaltation is always and will be defeated by God. That's a promise in God's word. Philippians chapter 3, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. They boasted. Listen to what they were doing. They boasted over the things that, they should, that should have brought them shame. They boasted about those things. They were proud of their worst perversions. They glorified in their sin and their independence from God. They lived a lifestyle that says, I don't need you, God. I call the shot. They felt they did not need God, but they could stand where they desired to stand. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that they exchanged the truth for the lie. Those who are sinful. The lie led to deception. They believed the lie. Now they live in deception. Okay? That's how it works. Where did the lie come from? It can come from the world. I believe it originates from the enemy himself. And, and so the lies that we see in this world, the, the, the father of those lies is the enemy. The Bible tells us that. And so therefore, they believe the lie. Now they're in their deception. And, and that deception, I believe, came from the enemy. But then it becomes disillusionment. Guess where the idea of being have a delusional mind comes from? This may shock you. According to Romans chapter 1, it comes from God. God gave them over to their sin. He gave them over to their, their deceptions, their disillusionment. Y'all, we're, we're watching this take place. The things that we see that used to be common sense are not Common sense in him. People are believing lies and deceptions. And God's given them over to the whole framework in which the enemy has, has structured. How, what does that look like? They've put themselves in the place of God. How does it look here in our society? They believe and speak their own truth. They live their own truth. They themselves decide what truth is. That is the place of God. It's the epitome of it. They worship themselves. They worship themselves. They discover their purpose outside of God. I was sharing with the Wednesday night crowd this past Wednesday that what's in aid about what God placed in us, that I believe, is the fact that we have, there's a void that must be filled in which we must worship something. That's there. The unbeliever, the atheist, is still there. There's that innate ability to desire to worship something. The second thing is to live by, with purpose. 
Everyone, you, you, you start looking at suicide rates. You start looking at, it's because people have lost sight of the fact that their life has meaning and purpose. And God's placed those in us. I believe it's so we would make a search for him. I believe that's there. I think Romans 1 kind of dictates some of that. And the fact is, they've replaced themselves. So they discovered their purpose outside of God. They've even gone as far as choosing their own gender. The epitome of self-exaltation. Everything working against God's intentions and what he's placed in us. Next, their inclination. Verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. This is a summary statement of verses 18 and 19. These individuals put their heart and hope in the things of the world. They have accepted and live according to the standards of this world instead of the standard God has put forth. They've created their own form of salvation as far as them living out their desires for this world and put aside the true idea of what salvation and what God's provided through the cross in the name of Jesus. Paul was saying that these false teachers should be avoided at any cost and never be followed or imitated. He's basically saying stay on the path that leads to the best results, heaven itself. Stay on that path. Next, we go from the violation of the false teachers to the glorification of the true follower of Jesus. And I'll be very brief with this. Salvation, your salvation that you, that you uh, have from Jesus, that Jesus provided you for, there's three parts to it. I've shared with this many times. Number one, there's something called justification. And this is in the past. That's when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's justification. You've been made right before God because what Jesus did on your behalf and you received that, you turn from your sins, you turn to his ways. There it is. Faith has been ignited. That's your justification. Then there's something called sanctification. That's where we are right now. That's what Paul's talking about in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. But now he's talking about glorification, which is a future reality. He's about to talk about those in the next two verses. And the first thing we see there is a new record. God keeps records. He keeps books on our lives. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 20, final judgment. The Bible says there's going to be books there. They're, they're, literally what they are are records, and they're going to come out. Our works will be there. But guess what? That last judgment is not about believers, whether someone goes to heaven or hell. This is a sentencing for those who are bound for eternal destruction, for hell. And he's basically saying these things. Guess what? The books are going to be open. So God's keeping records. But listen to this. I, he's talking about us here. Verse 20, for our citizenship, because we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's a future event that's coming. It's called the glorification. And as a result of that, because that is coming, where are we living right now? If that's the future, where are we living now? Well, the fact is we're citizens of that place that we're going to, but we're here right now. In the Bible, even Paul describes that, we're ambassadors. We represent him here. So when we embrace the, G, the salvation Jesus offers us, we become citizens of a new country. Our name is recorded as a citizen of that country, and that book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Therefore, we as true followers of Jesus, even though we're not at home yet, we're still here a part of this world, but we don't live for this world. Next, we see a new reality. 
because we're citizens of heaven, there's three new things that are going to take place. First of all, a new place. He calls it heaven. For our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. Heaven is both the present and anticipated joy of those who are in Christ. Now, here's what's interesting thing about heaven. When Jesus quits being deity, which will be never, <laughs> we don't get heaven. <laughs> the fact that Jesus can't lose his deity assures us that we will have heaven. Okay? Because it's just as he says. We come on his terms doing it his way. Therefore, our new reality is a new place. But also, there's a new promise. Jesus is coming back. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, yeah, we're living in this world, but we're just waiting for him to come get us. We're just waiting. He'll be coming in the future. Jesus told his disciples that. Another reality, a new body, glorified body. I've said this before, but how many of you are glad these bodies are going to be updated? <laughs> College students, people in your 20s, you have no idea what we're talking about right now. <laughs> we will need new bodies for our eternal home. The Bible says in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. This is saying, you can count on this. God is in control. You can count on this. How many of you need a word this morning that mean, this means more to you than anything based on what we see in our world today? How many of you love the fact that God is still in control? How many of you lose sight of that sometimes? But he is. And our destination of heaven it's not only a reality that we look forward to, the reality we should also be looking at is the fact he's, he's still in control. He's still in control. And then Paul closes with this, the exhortation. Paul cares for them. Paul had a deep love for these people. In Philippians 4.4, 4, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brother, you are my joy and crown. It's almost like an athlete. How many of you have ever seen an athlete uh, win a game and he had a great bottom line? I mean, maybe he rushed for 200 yards, four touchdowns. He's up there. I want to thank Mama. I want to thank blah, blah, blah. I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ever heard them do that stuff? Okay. It's kind of heartwarming when they love their Lord Jesus Christ. I like that. Okay, that's pretty cool. But, but this, Paul is kind of using the same language here about them. He's saying, you're my crown, you're this, you're that. I love what I'm seeing, how God's working in your life. If you don't believe me, go back to the prayer that he said he prays for them in the first part of Philippians chapter 1. It's a beautiful picture of how much Paul cares for these people. And then he gives them a challenge. Philippians 4, through, uh, Philippians 4, 4. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be those who are going to try to turn you around, get you off track, take you off the path that Christ has set for you. They're going to misrepresent Jesus. They're going to do all these terrible things. They're going to alter this thing. But you stand fast. Hold your ground. College students, when you go to school, hold your ground. When you go into the workplace, Hold your ground. When you, when, you, when you find yourself caught up in this world, hold your ground. So here's the application. 
We are called to live with eternity in mind, realizing that we are citizens of another world, a place called heaven. And then here's the last, here's the question. Do you live like this is a present reality in your life? Do you live realizing heaven awaits? Do you live with the thought that the best is yet to come? Because it is. For those of you who know Jesus, the best is yet to come. So when you get weighted down by this whole world and it, it, it weighs on you and you're burdened and you're, 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 you're troubled and your despair, remember heaven awaits and God is still in control. Would you stand with me, please? There's going to be prayer partners here at the front. If you need someone to pray with you, maybe, maybe, maybe this, this path to heaven is not assured for you. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just have questions about that. They'll be here at the front to help you. But right now, we're not going to sing. I just want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, pray for those around you. I want to kind of end this part with a prayer. And then after I pray, these prayer partners are going to be up here. Just do what God's calling you to do when he's closing numbers. Father, we thank you. As we said a while ago, that you're still in control. As dismal as it may look, as hard as the burdens that we carry are, uh, are there, help us to realize you're still in control. Father, I just pray, Lord, as, as Paul said, in the midst of all this deception, that we will stand fast in your word. Father, that we would determine, be determined to be students of your word in a way that allows us to stand up, to not be gullible to what we're hearing from this world, but to stand solidly on your word. Father, I pray for these college students and these students who are going back to school. Lord, I know they're going to be challenged. Their faith will be challenged. Father, when I went through it, my faith was challenged. And, and thank you so much, God, that on the other side of it all, my faith still won out because of that strength you gave me, the desire I had to, to follow your word. I pray that for them this coming year. Father, I just thank you for who you are. If there's someone here that doesn't know you or has questions about what we talked about here today, draw them to yourself, either with these prayer partners, whatever it may be, that they'll talk to someone before they leave. Have your way in these closing moments. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed.